Hi, I'm Adrian in suburban Chicagoland, and this is Your Parenting Mojo with Jen Lumenlot. Jen is working on a series of episodes based on the challenges you are having with your child. From toothbrushing to sibling fighting to the endless resistance to whatever you ask, Jen will look across all the evidence from thousands of scientific papers across a whole range of topics related to parenting and child development to help you see solutions to the issue you're facing that hadn't seemed possible before. If you'd like a personalized answer to your challenge, just make a video if possible, or an audio clip if not, that's less than one minute long that describes what's happening, and email it to support at yourparentingmojo.com. And listen out for your episode soon. Hello and welcome to the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. You're in for a very different kind of conversation today than the ones that we normally have on the show. When my book, Parenting Beyond Power, launched in September of 2023, I decided to go on a little mini book tour of the West Coast just to kick things off. And I started in Vancouver because there was a core group of listeners up there who really wanted me to come up there first. And I decided that I didn't want to just do the usual book tour thing of going to sign books and read in bookstores. I wanted to convene panel events because I wanted to develop relationships with people who were on the ground doing work locally and to bring some of the benefits of kind of being in community to those folks as well. And so I decided to convene a panel event in each of the main cities that I visited. And Carrie Cavers, who leads Moms Against Racism Canada, gracefully agreed to join the panel event in Vancouver. And so we had an event there and then we kind of hit it off and we decided to get together again. She lives in Victoria, but she had a couple days until her ferry back. So we got together in one of her friend's gardens <laughs> for a very informal chat. And at the time, I didn't actually realize that this was going to be a podcast episode. I actually kind of thought we were mostly doing her a favor because we could talk about her and her work and that maybe we could cut those videos for her and we could uh, she, she could use them as a, a way to communicate the work that she's doing to funders. So I saw it mostly as a thank you to her for participating in the panel event. And then once we actually got into the conversation, I realized just what a pot of gold that we had. And I wanted to share that with you. So we're releasing this as a formal episode. Obviously, because I didn't think it was going to be an episode, I went in with a very different set of questions than I would have done otherwise. And I didn't really have the sort of take-home messages that I would normally make sure that we have for you. So I followed up with Carrie afterwards, and she uh, very kindly provided, uh, over-delivered, as Carrie always does, with a quite a lengthy list of ways that you can begin to take anti-racist action in your life. So she wasn't able to record it for us, so I will go ahead and read it at the end of this episode. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and I'll see you again at the end. Hi, I'm Jen Lumelan of the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. And yesterday in Vancouver, we had an awesome inaugural cultural talks event. And Carrie Cavers of Moms Against Racism was a panelist in that event. And we had so much fun, we decided we would come back and do another iteration today. So we're here to have a chat. Welcome, Carrie. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So could you tell me maybe a little bit about um, who, who you are? What's Moms Against Racism? What's the work you do? Uh, well, uh, my name is Carrie Cavers. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. And um, I am the founder of Moms Against Racism Canada. So we are a nonprofit organization that has the mission to educate moms and anybody in a mothering role. So uh, teachers, caregivers, um, 
educating them around uh, anti-racism, decolonization, and cultural competence so that they can then have the tools and the support to dismantle racism within themselves and to bring that to their families and out into their community as well. So we've been around for three years. We're kind of a baby nonprofit. We're growing, but we do have about 2,500 members uh, across Canada and we're mostly uh, an online community of, of people and we do lots of great events. So we have, um, coffee chats like this every month to be able to talk about things that have come up at home or at school and how do we address this? How do we talk to our kids about this? What kind of language can we use? Uh, and then we also have more community type events where we're, we're building those relationships and those connections with each other. So we both have, um, you know, BIPOC or Black Indigenous moms of color in the group, as well as uh, a, a large membership base of white moms who are in there wanting to do their own unlearning as well. And so it's it's a really unique community in that um, we are living those white, like the anti-oppression, anti-white supremacy values and are really working hard to create a space that is safe for learning um, and that people can lean in and be vulnerable and do that hard work. Mm -hmm. So how did Moms Against Racism get started? Uh, that is a really great question. Um, so kind of long answer. Uh, I grew up in a town that was very white and uh, I had the experience of being a, a one of the onlys in my school and I experienced, you know, racism all throughout growing up and some of them being more um, overt. So uh, more in your face kind of things. And uh, like one of my first instance, I tell the story is when I was about seven or eight, I had gone to a birthday party. And so it was all, you know, kids of the neighborhood. It really, it really helped us really, really grow as parents, as a family, and just accept that things that did deeply resonated with us make sense for our family. And uh, being able to have that community, even on just online, as we actually are most surrounded by people who are traditionally parent, uh, is just amazing. Parenting membership is now open for enrollment, but only until midnight Pacific on Wednesday, May 15th. We have sliding scale pricing and a 100% money back guarantee. Join now to get access to everything you need to make the change that you want to see in your family life at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash parenting membership. And it's every kid's favorite part of a birthday is the birthday cake. And so I was really super excited to get a piece of birthday cake. And um, all of the kids were handed out a piece of cake except for me. And I asked the, the birthday kiddo, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, in my mind thinking there's another cake that's going to come. And I asked, you know, can I have a piece of cake? And they said, no. And I asked why? And they said, well, you're black. And yeah, it was one of those things that like at the time I being biracial growing up with my mom, I didn't really fully understand what that meant mm -hmm. but what i took away was that you're other you're wrong 
there's something you know wrong with you. And it wasn't until like a little bit later that I started really understanding that division. And it makes sense uh, when you look at like the stages of development and, and uh, racial identity that, that that would be happening around that time for me. Um, and so like other things, living with my white mom, I had the paper boy who constantly told me that I was adopted to the point where I questioned my mom if I was adopted and for, for years, I wasn't confident, uh, in her response and, you know, other things like that are coming out. Uh, I had some friends in high school who were a little bit older than me. So coming out of my classroom, meeting up with them. And then one of them saying to me, Oh, like we talked about you in English class today. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, well, we're, we're reading this book that has this, um, black character in it and they're experiencing racism. And we were wondering, like, talking about what your experience might have been like. And that was mortifying to me at that time because I was like, I, there's boys in that class that I like. Why are they talking about me? Uh, but like on a bigger scale, just to, to be, objectified in that way um was really hard and so that's kind of the basis of it but for me uh like the start i should say of how this organization started but i just tried to fly under the radar and just fit in as as best as i could and so i've always been open to talking about my experiences but never really pushing the envelope until i had kids because everything changes when you have kids. And so my, my partner, my husband, he is white, uh, like white, white. And, um, I realized that like for, for us and his family, that a lot of comments were going to come. And because genetics are wild, you never know what your babies are going to be born presenting as we started having more conversations and I started having more conversations with the mom friends that I was collecting to. And as it turns out, our first is white presenting. And then I have three. My middle is black presenting and my youngest is white presenting, which pre like brings its own wonderful stranger, random comments uh, to our family. But, in 2020, when George Floyd was murdered, I had a lot of my mom friends reach out to me and they were starting to ask some deeper questions. And at the time, I don't know if it was like the weight of that intergenerational trauma, but it felt really heavy. And so I was like, you know, I want to be able to hold space for these conversations because they're important conversations, but it's also really emotionally draining for me. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to start a little Facebook group just for me and like 30 of my mom friends, no big deal. Uh, and then I only have to answer the question once. So I was really trying to reduce my workload here <laughs> in this. Um, and so, and then I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I had 140 people in the group and it was a really pivotal moment because I had some decisions to make. And so I decided, I was like, okay, you know, I've, I've talked with groups this size before we can do this. And so I closed down the group 
to be private. And then there was a backup of 1,500 people either requesting to join or being invited by their friends. And it felt like a real turning point in this. It felt like kind of the first time, for me anyway, that people were taking it seriously and were ready to have these conversations. And so from there, I then like very early on was asked to speak on a panel about uh, racism in education. And then we were part of an advocacy campaign, a letter writing campaign, and the membership just grew. And so it was <laughs> in, the, you know, with the words of Bob Ross, it was a happy little accident that uh, Mar started. And it really has been this beautiful, organic uh, process, which I think has lent, has allowed us to really um, embody those anti-oppressive principles and values in the space because all of the programs that we take on is based upon our volunteers. We're 100% volunteer run. All moms, educators, like the busiest people in the world, all people who have so much uh, conditioning to unlearn. Mm -hmm. And so we do it in a very messy way. We do Mara in a very loving, messy way in that you have capacity to do this. Great, but we're not, we don't want you to burn out. Mm -hmm. So long, I'm long-winded, but that is how Mar uh, came to be. Mm -hmm. So it, I, I really feel that it's just, me kind of going along for the ride <laughs> with how things developed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to come back to that messiness. Mm. But firstly, I just want to acknowledge we're in Vancouver, right? Yes. We're in Canada. So as far as I know, Canada never had slavery. Is that right? That is incorrect. That is incorrect. Okay, yes. great. So um, so obviously in the US, we had a long history with yes. it. Um, and I think that we can trace a lot of the challenges we have today back to that. And I think a lot of Americans, if I can sort of put myself in that mm -hmm. shoes, is we, we, we look at Canada and we're like, ah, you know, they don't have the same challenges <laughs> that we do. <laughs> and so from what I understand from having been here for a little bit, yes. that that is not necessarily the case. It just shows up differently. So can you yes. help us understand how does it show up here? Yeah, most definitely. So there, there is that dynamic. And even up here in Canada, we're like, well, at least we're not the U.S., right? Which becomes a protective strategy from actually having to look and do any of the work. So for us, our Canada, and we are, we're very polite. Canadians are very polite. Uh, and we were conditioned, like my generation and prior, that we are a multiculturalism haven, right? We are inclusive of all people, which is not true. And we kind of have this feeling that we just fell into racism as it is. But when you actually look back, our, our nation was founded upon and built upon, um, genocide of indigenous peoples, uh, enslavement of, uh, African people, uh, the, the, like, with building the railway, like, the Chinese hentacks, exclusionary immigration laws. Um, and so we, we're just kind of quieter about it. And one of the things to remember too is that the U.S. has 10 times the population that Canada has. So almost all of the people who live 
within Canada could fit within California. So even just by volume, there's more happening in the US. So it seems more egregious, but we have the same kinds of things here too. We have, you know, black people who are disproportionately targeted by the police. Um, we have wellness checks that actually end up in situations of death for indigenous communities. And we have, you know, tw I think it's right now the number is 25 different First Nations that don't have clean drinking water. And this is all like policy type stuff. So a lot of it is, it's through legislation. So it, it, a lot of people are like, well, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. But we then go back and think about like, well, who wrote these policies and legislation mm -hmm. and what was their lens and and so much of it was written to benefit those first um european settlers who came over so for us like with enslavement we had like much of the people who came over and that were enslaved did end up in the u.s and then we have this story of like oh the hero with the like the underground railway but what actually happened was many people migrated up and just found very similar conditions here um and we were like there's where he like you say we're in vancouver so um demographically speaking we have more um people of the african diaspora on the east coast of canada because of that slave trade route um and it becomes less and less black the more and more west you get and which is an interesting um dynamic because then racism shows up very differently province by province mm. so we have like micro um environments and so the experiences vary so from mine of more polite racism i think like for me the most overt violent that i've experienced was we had our van keyed um because myself and another racialized person i suspect were seen exiting the van mm. and so someone keyed our van mm. um but there's still like things aren't necessarily getting better and people are becoming more and more brazen with their racism and and their views and so my concern for physical safety continues to increase for myself for my kids yeah. um so we're not we're not that much different yeah okay and so you mentioned sort of this messy unlearning yes. which i think a lot of it has to happen with white people right we're the ones who have to do the bulk of the unlearning and so what does that look like when somebody's associated with moms against racism right mm -hmm. when they join the group what what happens what what are we unlearning and how are we unlearning it it's uh, yeah so i i agree with you i think there's work that white people need to do in their unlearning and then there's work that racialized people need to do too so I'll talk about that in a sec. But when with Mar, like, there's a, there's a lot of people who do this work 
in various different ways. And, um, you know, I, I had mentioned yesterday, I'm not a front lines person. I'm not a, a, a holding the sign protest person. I don't like crowds. Um, and so, but I love the people who are those people that can go and do that. And that's the way that they want to do this work. And I, and I say that because there are a lot of racialized people who hold the opinion that we, sh- that mm, we need to be more aggressive with white people on this, that we don't want to coddle them or uh, be mindful of their feelings. And, and I can respect where they're coming from because they, they have intergenerationally within their own lifetimes experienced a lot of stuff and they're done. And I, and I appreciate that from the science that I understand about learning is that, you know, when somebody is in a fear state, when they're feeling activated, they're not taking in any new information, right? You get the amygdala hijack and that's it. Uh, and we see that with the, with the fragility that happens and pops up in the defensiveness. And so within MAR, we are really focused on it's a learning space, right? We know people are going to mess up. We know people are going to ask a question and there's going to be people who go, but we're going to like take a moment and be like, Hey, actually you want to use this language or I see where you might be perpetuating something or you have a bias that needs to be addressed just by the way that you're framing this. And it's, it, we are really focused on calling people in and coming alongside them with their learning. And that is not for everyone. It's not, there's, there are some white people who that is not for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and there's some racialized people who it's harmful for them to be in that space. And I very much respect that. But that's the, how Mar is different. And that's kind of like on our highway to racial justice. That's our lane. Um, and then if I may on with the racialized people needing to do the work, like we live in a white supremacy society, right? Like as you talk about, we are, we are conditioned with many different oppressive systems and that it doesn't escape us either it just shows up in different ways yeah ra- the racialized people we have our work to do too like we there are some people who have the privilege of growing up in families that are uh deeply connected to culture that they've been able to have these conversations uh before and are very grounded in their understanding of racism and how it impacts them but there is a large uh, population of racialized people who haven't had that privilege of being so grounded. And especially here, um, when we have so many uh, people who have brought their families here over the generations, and Canada is really a country of assimilation, right? So come in, come be part of our multiculturalism mosaic, but like, don't bring your culture too much mm-hmm. right and so there's a lot of people my generation if you don't talk about it it's not happening right doesn't exist it doesn't exist <laughs> and i want i want you to have better experience than me yeah. 
And so people have lost languages, they've lost connection to culture, they are not understanding what racism is, microaggressions are, and they're simultaneously doing this unlearning the same time that white people are doing this unlearning. And so it is really messy because uh, there's oftentimes, especially for racialized people who are in workplaces who are now prioritizing this, because uh, there's a lot of people who are having these conversations that they'll get tokenized or there's an assumption that they can just speak to this. And that can create a lot of feelings of shame because they they don't want to say, well, no, I don't know, or I'm just learning this too. So, you know, and, and within racialized communities, we, we gatekeep each other. We do oppression Olympics or, you know, the, the colorism that happens. And so there's unlearning to be done on both sides. And with that, there is humility and grace that needs to be shown both sides. And I really feel that relationship is the way out of this, right? It's like all of these systems have been created to break that down. And so if we can do this work individually, alongside each other, and together, we can start building those relationships. Yeah. I'm curious about whether your mom talked with you about racism. Not at all. Not at all. No. No, I, so my mom had a whole host of challenges of her own that created a very um, chaotic environment for me growing up. And I wasn't that connected to my, my dad or my dad's side of the family. So I had no real um, connection to my culture. Um, I remember, so, I, but, but it's, it was in me. And so like, I would see things and I would gravitate to things. Like I gravitated to the, the black TV shows that were on at the time in the eighties and gravitated towards like in living color. And I wanted to be a fly girl so bad. And so much so that like, I told my mom, I was like, I want it. And, but I didn't have the words, right? And so really what I wanted was to go and do hip hop class. <laughs> and so I was like, mom, sign me up for dance. Mm-hmm. And so they put me in dance and then I got into like jazz ballet and it was a raindrop. I was like, I was so mad. I was like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> um, and like a variety of other things where I, I tried to connect, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't there. Yeah. And, you know, for, for my, for my mom being a white person, that was a really big gap on her part. Despite the fact that I don't know if she would have ever been able to get there just based on who she is. But like I do, I see a lot of families where there's either one white parent or maybe two white parents and they've adopted that because of white supremacy, there is that non-recognition of the whiteness identity and the and the how it is the been the default yeah. or the the normal um and that there needs to be mindfulness there needs to be intentionality in ensuring that that child 
knows all of the parts of them. And coupled with that, the, that the white savior. So under white supremacy, that way of thinking of like, I'm the best, I know best. Um, I'm going to come in and save the day because I save you from yourself, essentially, which creates, um, a, 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 a chasm in identity, uh, which is something that I have been working really hard as an adult now to, to bridge that and to, to heal those parts of myself and to really like, um, get to know who I am and everything that makes me me. Yeah. My favorite thing about the membership is the community, being in community with other people that want to make positive changes, you know, based on their values for their family and helping all of us helping each other brainstorm ways to do that in specific situations is is really, really beautiful. It's such a gift and it's such a, a wonderful resource that I'm so glad that I have. It's made all the difference. My action group has been meeting for years now. We're fantastic friends and we all love coming to the call every week and catching up with each other and, and helping each other with our, with our approach. The parenting membership is now open for enrollment, but only until midnight Pacific on Wednesday, May 15th. We have sliding scale pricing and a 100% money back guarantee. Join now to get access to everything you need to make the change that you want to see in your family life at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash parenting membership. So you've read Parenting Beyond Power, and I guess I'm curious as to how it landed for you. Um, I think it is a book that every parent should read. I really do. Um, I myself, I have some strong-willed, very spirited, uh, outside the box thinker kind of kids. Uh, and so I've been on this journey for a while of like, how do I best support my kids, meet them where they're at? Uh, and so I've read a bunch of different parenting books. Like I, I see some uh, congruency with like the explosive child in that framework of let's treat our children like little humans, uh, which I really, really appreciate. But with parenting beyond power what i love about it is bringing in those systems of oppression that whether we know it or not have a huge impact on our lives and the relationships that we have with our kiddos and i think it both gives parents and caregivers the permission to put down some of that guilt and responsibility for the patterns that they may have gotten into with their kids and be able to say, oh, okay, there's something bigger at play here. And that like being able to, it's, and it's not even like shifting the blame, but it, there's like a, a, an accountability that doesn't fully rest on our shoulders of what, how the systems, the generation, the parenting that we've gone through. Um, and it, 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 you invite people in a very non-blaming, non-confrontational way to 
it have a look at this and like i i think it is like i i love the book and i know <laughs> sorry i'm rambling i'm gushing i know it's it it must bring up a whole bunch of feelings for you i would assume being someone who is white writing a book like this um and i think it's really important to to hear this from racialized voices and to hear this from white voices because you are going to speak in a way tell a story in a way share your own experiences in a way that people are going to connect to that they wouldn't necessarily connect to when I, if I were to share a story that way. So I think it's really important. And I think it's really important for white people to say, look, I'm doing this work and I'm surviving. Like I haven't fallen apart. Right. Uh, and, and so I really, I love the book. Mm. I love the book. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And th I, there are some people who say that a white person shouldn't write this book. Mm -hmm. And so I, I definitely struggled with that. And I think that the, the key thing that made me want to write it was absolutely we have to read and support the work of BIPOC writers. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen a book that talks about what is essentially doing anti-racist work, right? Uh, from a perspective that's different than talking with your child about race, mm -hmm. which we have to do, right? Mm -hmm. We can never, mm -hmm. ever stop doing that. But if we are talking and we're having the conversations, we're reading the books, we're doing those things, and then we're turning around and using our power over our child mm -hmm. to get them to do what we want them to do, mm -hmm. then, I mean, anyone who's ever sworn in front of their child knows that if you then tell them not to swear, <laughs> they don't take the lesson of your words, yes. right? Yep. <laughs> you take the lesson of your deeds, your mm -hmm. actions. Mm -hmm. So it was really important to me to, to not just have the background of why is this important, but then, and what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. Where do we go from here? So I, I'm also wondering is, are there aspects of the, the tools part of the book that, that landed for you in a way that other resources haven't that you've been able to use mm -hmm. maybe since you've been reading them? Could you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, so I will admit that with it, with reading the book, it's it, for me, it was a simultaneously reparenting healing part of myself uh, as well as examining how I'm showing up in the interactions with my kids. And I, there's a part in the book where you talk about needs, right? And it, it's very central uh, to this and finding everybody's needs and the like, what is it that I need? And I had to really sit with that. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated the the this like the resources in and listing out the different needs uh because that was really helpful because it, it felt overwhelming when when for someone who like the way that i grew up and how i am now of you know i often put other people's needs in in front of mine and even just like but there was a time when i was really mindful of like setting boundaries and not putting someone's needs in front of mine but life happens Right. And having three kids and trying to manage a household. And sometimes we just lose ourselves in that to make sure that everything else is working. And so when I got to that point in the book, it, it like made me stop 
And I was like, I really need to connect back in with this. And just that reframe of how to have that conversation about like what my needs are and modeling that for my kids. Like I, it, I really like that. And I really liked the cupcake and being able to, you know, have those and, and having that conversation and that relationship with, with your child. And it's, it's, you are having the conversation, you're modeling it to them. You're also like learning about them. They're feeling seen and heard and you're feeling seen and heard. And then you have that and you can refer back to it. And for me, visuals, I, I love visuals. I need visuals and my kids do too. So like using that with them, it's, it's and we've, we've just started, but already has been helpful in just being like, oh, like, are we, you know, are we talking about the cherry? Are we talking about the icing? Like, where are we in things? Um, so I, I, yeah, it's been, it's been great. I love it. <laughs> Can you tell us about an example of a situation where it seemed like maybe there was conflict and, and no way to meet both people's needs? Maybe you, maybe you and a child and you realize, oh, we're actually finding about strategies, strategies here. And mm. if we can think about this, the level of needs, then we can find a way to meet both of our needs. Does something come to mind? Um, let me think. So Yes. So my, I, I'm, so what I'm thinking about right now is what would my kids be okay with me sharing? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I just want to make sure like <laughs> I'm yep. being respectful of them so too. If you want to pause and think about it and then you can answer me and I can answer, ask the question again. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I got it. Um, so my, my daughter, she, uh, is just about to turn six. So she's going into grade one. Um, and she right now, like, going back to school it's a transition it's a little bit scary uh and so we've been working together on what would be what she needs to be able to stay for the full day and there was and for me like because i'm working i need to be able to do a fast drop off and get back to work and you know get onto my emails and everything like that so uh, there was a level of impatience that I was having, but I also recognized that I want to be there for her and be supportive, but I couldn't figure out what it was for her. That was the challenge. And so, and last year for kindergarten, like we did the surfboard carry in sometimes of, you know, really upset. And, and she will always like, after she's there, settle in and be okay. So for this time, we were, you know, I was very fumbly trying to put these things into practice, but was just talking with her of like, you know, what's, what are you feeling? What are you feeling in your body? And, you know, what do you need? And we were in, we, she, we were in the classroom at that point. And, it, and she was able to tell me for the kind of the first time, she's like, it's all the kids and they're looking at me. Mm. And I, I, I'm feeling like, scared yeah and i need you there because you help me feel safe uh and so and like i'm on some level i knew that right and so then we could talk about how to make her feel safe so she now has uh an emotional uh support dog stuffy that she brings with her and we've been able to connect with the teacher. And so we do a pass off the teacher, like physical touch to physical touch with the teacher. So she feels 
safe. She feels that someone has her back. And that, like, in such a short amount of time, we've been able to move forward faster than, you know, different tools and strategies that we were trying last year. And she's a little bit older, too. So that's helpful as well. But I think really being able to find that need and address that need and also giving her options. So we talked about, okay, like I can, we, I can stay longer for a drop off and then you stay the whole day or we can do a faster drop off and I pick you up early. So also giving her some autonomy in that of what would meet her needs. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so, I think it's so profound to just understand, oh, this is a need for safety mm-hmm. and the strategies we can use to address that are very different than yes. they would be if she had a different need. <laughs> yes. And so we stop just throwing spaghetti at the wall and trying everything under the sun and we're actively looking for how can we help you to feel safe? Yep which then enables you to meet your need for competence in your work. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Competence was a high need of mine, as it turns out. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can imagine. You have asked me a bunch of questions. And so I want to know, like, aside from writing the book, like, why, why do culture talks? Like, this seems like a very different way of going out and connecting with people and talking about your book Mm -hmm. as opposed to doing like a book tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think it was sort of the intersection of seeing the challenges of my neurodivergence Mm -hmm. and (laughs) wanting to work with that. And also knowing that the story is so much larger than parenting beyond power. Um, And so, you know, having a stage by myself, it's kind of scary <laughs> having a stage with four or five other people a lot less scary <laughs> and so there was that aspect of it and then you know if I'm going to be coming into these communities and talking about local situations I mean frankly I don't know that much about the work that's happening locally but there is amazing work that's happening locally and I really wanted to be able to showcase that and to support the folks on the panel the folks in the audience the really to for everybody to make connections and I was really happy to see some of that happening mm. in the event that we had yesterday where people we we saw two people who live two blocks down the street from each other and had no idea <laughs> and they just met and now they're going to get together and some of the panelists making plans to get together mm-hmm. and have coffee together and so if 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 nothing else happens amazing community and connections have already been made. Mm -hmm. And in addition, I think that the audience members now see the panelists in a different way than they saw before, Mm -hmm. right? They see you in a different way than they've seen you before. They are connecting your work and connecting the dots on that to the work that other people are doing as well and how that shows up in different kinds of issues that maybe they hadn't considered before Mm -hmm. as being related to Mm -hmm. the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about moving beyond our silos, right? We have this idea that, well, it's my book and I'm going to do this thing and it's all going to be about my thing. And I'm like, that's, that's white supremacy, white supremacy way of going about it. So (laughs) do I want to be part of perpetuating the system that I'm trying to work on dismantling? (laughs) Or can I imagine a way that shares 
the audience that shares the thinking, that shares the ideas, that shares the passion and the relationships with a broader group of people so that we can all benefit from that. We can all learn from each other and support each other's work. And so I think, you know, that's why we're sitting here today is because we had the opportunity to be together on the panel and then saw another way that we could work together that can support both of us. And so I hope to replicate this, not in its exact form, but with different topics, with different people working on different areas of these issues in many different cities around the US, Canada, other places, maybe even further than that uh, in the long term. So yeah, it's it's really sort of seeing it as part of a movement, part, part of a, a broader conversation that's happening uh, in the world about these really challenging social issues. So um, so, so I asked you to, to be on this panel mm-hmm. and I, I will never forget the way you responded, actually. <laughs> so I wonder if you remember the way you responded. And I'm also curious as to why did you agree to do this? Why did you say yes? So I, being in this space now, um, will get a lot of requests to come and, and talk and be somewhere. Um, and oftentimes I can tell it's really just a checkbox. Mm. You know, the way that it, it's been phrased or asked, I can tell that an individual has not done much work. They're not really valuing the weight of the situation. And the way that your uh, email came in, your request came in, and how fulsome it was and all the details. And for me, what I appreciated the most was the vulnerability that came through from you of you had an awareness of your social location. Um, so your privilege intersecting with the variety of you know uh, other things that you have going on, what you're trying to accomplish and being up like you, there was nothing to hide, right? I could, it was very transparent. And then adding in the pages of the book to give me a preview, I felt fully supported in that. I felt like you had thought through how you were going to keep me safe, how um, you were going to ensure that it was a respectful environment in, in all of these kinds of things. So like I felt no hesitancy in saying yes. Okay. And so what made it be an event that you wanted to do, right? Because you you invited to so many events. Why this one instead of a a different one, given how you limited your time? Yes. Um, So for me, what the book was based on, is very much the work I see our membership needing to do for moms, for the mothering people who are in our, our part of our group. Uh, it really is that untangling of those systems and how that shows up in parenting because it, we, my thing for Mar is 
people who are embodying anti-racism. And if as parents, we're not tackling some of these bigger ways that it shows up for us and the power struggles that we have, because that power struggle is what keeps all of these systems of oppression in place. We're not going to do it. And so I felt like there's a natural alignment with what you were doing, being able to come and connect with some other people who are doing fantastic things as well uh, was of interest to me because it can get lonely Mm -hmm. being someone who is pushing that boulder up the hill. And so connecting with like-minded people um, was a draw for me. And then just being in a space of community and talking about this, it's my jam. I love it. So, you know, when, when all of those things were in place, it felt like a really special opportunity to participate in something. I think that the universe blesses us in different ways. And one of those blessings has been getting to know you. Uh, I'm very grateful that you reached out to invite me to participate in this. And I hope that we can continue, uh, working together and, you know, I just, one of the the things that I've been thinking about and just wondering is like what of doing this work that you do with the book and the podcast and bringing people together to have these conversations, like how does that fill your cup? Like what do you love the most about that? I think that learning about my uh white privilege, learning about patriarchy, learning about how capitalism has impacted us is something that it's like one of those things that once you know it, you can't unknow it. (laughs) And once I know something like that, it's really hard for me to turn away from it Mm -hmm. and to not do everything in my capacity to do something that really, I hope, makes a profound impact in the world. And I think my, thinking about my needs, my need to matter, right? To do something that leaves the world in a better place than I found it is really, really strong. And so the the form that that takes is going to vary, right? Sometimes it's going to be a panel discussion mm-hmm. through culture talks. Sometimes it's going to be listening to a podcast episode or write, you know, reading, writing a book. Mm-hmm. And and those messages can come in different ways for different people who learn in different ways and who you know want to be in community in different ways. And and really, I'm just trying to provide mm-hmm. options for other folks to learn the same things I have learned mm-hmm. and the impact that this has had on us, right? This is, this has affected all of us. It has affected some of us way more mm-hmm. and in way different ways, mm-hmm. but it has affected me too. Uh, it has hurt me too. It has stolen things from me too. And so when I think when people see that, when they understand that, they're going to be more willing to come on this journey mm-hmm. and to walk with us, right? I'm not a person who's figured this out and fixed it even in my own life, never mind, you know, any anywhere further than that. But it's more finding people to walk on this journey with mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. I really think is how the work happens and and how it gets done and how we change these systems so that we can move toward a world where everybody belongs. Mm-hmm where nobody has to hide a part of themselves because they feel ashamed of it, that they won't be loved and accepted for who they really are if they show that part of themselves, that we can just be our whole selves 
and know that that will be seen and respected and understood and loved. That's what I'm working towards for myself, for my daughter, for yourself, for your kids, for all of our kids, so that we can create that world together. Beautiful. And it will be enough. (sighs) I've had an amazing five years as part of the membership. And I think for me, the most noteworthy thing is that I came looking for more tools and more information to meet the situation as it was when I joined. And what I got was so much more than that. And the real value has been in my own personal development, in the clarity I've had towards what my own expectations were for my family and for myself, and being able to move away from how do I fix this problem that's coming up for me right now, and more towards how can I embody my own values and be the person and the parent I want to be and learn to follow my own inner compass as we go through challenging times. Parenting membership is now open for enrollment, but only until midnight Pacific on Wednesday, May 15th. We have sliding scale pricing and a 100% money back guarantee. Join now to get access to everything you need to make the change that you want to see in your family life at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash parenting membership. I hope so. Thank you. It's a real honor to speak with you be here with you oh thank you so much i love it (laughs) (laughs) i hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as i enjoyed having it it was a real pleasure and a privilege to meet carrie and to get to dive a little bit deeper into her background and all of the things that she's accomplished through moms against racism canada I wanted to conclude with the list of actions that she sent me. And before I say that, I just wanted to say I'm going to pretty much give you her words unedited. So um, this obviously is when I present a, a list of actions that you can consider taking, then it's it's one person's view, right, of actions that we can take. And this is Carrie's view. So there are some things on here that other people would say are not necessarily the, the primary thing you should be focusing on. Uh, an example of that might, might be land acknowledgments. Right, which is where you are looking to understand whose land you are on when you're living and working and to verbally acknowledge that. So I've written land acknowledgements. I have one on the Your Parenting Mojo website. There's one in Parenting Beyond Power as well. And uh, But there's also a very different perspective that says that land acknowledgements are very performative and are not actually very useful. So um, so, so just kind of take this as a, a list of things that you can try. And I also would just want to be clear that this is not sort of a checklist of things that you go through and do once and call it done. And now that you're an anti-racist ally, these are things that you can do on a continuous basis so that you can uh, continue moving your journey forward and know that the journey will never be over. So without further ado, here are some suggestions that you can use to progress from bystander to upstander to ally and to accomplice. And what your next anti-racist parenting step will be is very much dependent on where you actually are in your understanding and practice. Many of us perceive ourselves to be much further along than we really are because that's how we want others to perceive us as well. So once again, don't think of this as a checklist. These are not things you do once and they're done forever. They're ideas for practices you can try today and on an ongoing basis. And Carrie adds that both white parents and racialized parents can undertake these actions because we all have learning and healing to do. So if all of this is new to you, the ideas that you heard in this episode are very new to you, some things that you can do are reflection and journaling to become aware of your racist biases and beliefs. 
And you can do that by embracing the fact that you hold internalized racist beliefs. You can accept that racism exists, that it is in all of our systems, in our media, in our sports, in our parenting books, in everything that we do. If you are white, acknowledge that you have white privilege, and whether you like it or not, you benefit from our racist systems. Take note of your thoughts and impulses around BIPOC people. Are you comfortable or uncomfortable? What is the narrative or the story that is fueling that feeling? What is your first response to stories and accounts of racism? Are you disbelieving? Do you feel the need to reserve judgment? Do you make excuses or apologies for the racist behavior? And then the next section, for if you're not comfortable with the idea that you have internalized racism, start by diving into some learning, staying open and curious about your beliefs and unlearning. You might find historical accounts written by Indigenous and Black people to counter the narrative that you were taught. You can read books on anti-racism and decolonization written by Black and Indigenous authors. Talk to friends about race and racism. Talk to your children about what they're learning or not learning at school. Ask them what they think or how they feel about current events. Research whose traditional territory you live on. Learn about them and write a personal land acknowledgement. Look for racism in headlines, articles, or even the whole publication. Go back and revisit events in recent history to see if you view them differently now. Black and indigenous protests, government policies or campaigns, school events, or spirit days, etc. Attend courses and workshops by BIPOC presenters. Read racially and culturally diverse children's books with your kids and use that as a starting point for conversations. Next, if you've done a lot of literature learning already, then Carrie says it's time to start experiential learning, broadening your exposure to the world that exists outside of your own culture. So make friends with BIPOC people. Watch movies and shows created by BIPOC that feature BIPOC. Listen to music from around the world. Eat food from different cultures. Attend cultural events that you've never been to before, virtually and in person. Do a diversity book audit and replace all your white-centric books with books featuring main characters or all characters of different races and gender identification and abilities. And then finally, it's time to take action and set yourself up for the long run. So practice having consistent conversations with your kids about race, racism, and white supremacy. Find friends or groups who you can take this journey with and schedule monthly time to move yourself forward. Support an action doing this work, like Moms Against Racism, as an engaged member or with financial donations, as a volunteer, or all of the above. Check in with your children's schools or childcare to see what actions they are taking to incorporate anti-racism into their curriculum. You can buy a diverse book bundle for your child's teacher or school, and Moms Against Racism can facilitate that for you if you'd like, or donate diverse books to the school library. Attend the school parent advisory meetings and speak up when there are plans that may be exclusionary or discriminatory. Back up the racialized folks who speak up. If financially feasible for you, find a therapist that resonates with you to help you work through your own personal trauma, triggers, and limiting beliefs. Anti-racism work will bring to the surface what you need to process and heal. Make sure you're well supported to help your own healing. And then Kerry concludes by saying, you can do this. We are living in a time where information is literally at our fingertips. There are multitudes of book and podcast lists to help you in your learning and Eventbrite and Facebook make finding workshops easy. You just have to commit. And we actually have a PDF of all of these actions that Kerry mentioned so that you can print it out and refer back to it over and over again at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash mar, M-A-R for Moms Against Racism. 
If you'd like Jen to address the challenge you're having in parenting, just email your one-minute video or audio clip to support at yourparentingmojo.com and listen out for your episode soon.